y'all back once again. This is the Wu-Tang Podcast. I'm Singard Superior, the almighty AR is still on hiatus. So for this episode, I have a very special guest. For this episode, I have Chris Piersnick, who is a New Jersey-based writer whose work has appeared in Point, Double XL, Business Insider, just to name a few, Hip Hop Golden Age also. And he's also the author of eight books, including Hip Hop Scholar, a compendium of rantings, ravings, and ruminations on rap. Chris, how are you doing? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm well, man. I'm well. And uh, for this episode, we're going to have some woo talk on a very, very good and special Wu-Tang album, that being uh, Wu-Tang Forever. And for this episode, we're going to focus on the second disc of Wu-Tang Forever. So this is going to be uh, a three-part, yeah, about, yeah, three-part series or whatever like that, uh, talking about Wu-Tang Forever. And I decided to go ahead and uh, split the episodes up based on each disc, because to me, at least, I think that uh, each uh, part of Wu-Tang Forever kind of operates like its own album in certain ways. So, uh, Chris, uh, well, I should say that you also, you had this really interesting retrospective uh, about Wu-Tang Forever for the 20th anniversary, and you have this really cool story about your experience Wu-Tang Forever going to the mall and buying it and everything like that. So, um, if you can, can you uh, uh, share that story about uh, when Wu-Tang Forever came out and how special it was for you during the time? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I grew up outside Philadelphia um, in the suburbs, you know, mostly white kids. And before Wu-Tang, you know, it was at the time everything was looked at it as either, you know, public enemy and pro-black consciousness, consciousness or, you know, N.W.A., Dre, Snoop. And the cool thing about Wu-Tang, I think what they tapped into was they got the kids who were just different. They played chess, they, you know, Kung Fu movies, whatever. So in where I grew up, the Wu was huge. And when Wu-Tang Forever dropped June of 97, it was so enormous that at least half of my class in school, which was 400 kids, so at least 200 kids, I swear, skipped school to go cop the, the double disc that day. Um, I did not. I went to school because I'm a good kid. And, uh, but I went right afterwards and a friend of mine, he, he snatched me up in the parking lot and he said, you know, let's, let's go get it right now. And I just remember like, you don't, re- we don't really have these moments anymore. I don't know if it's cause you get older or just because the music has changed and, and the distribution of it has changed, but it was just, you couldn't wait to get there to buy this thing. Like it's, it wasn't just sitting in your phone or in your computer, Like you had to go to the store and get it. And it was, it was an event. It was a big, big deal. And for the next week or two, that's all anybody was talking about, it felt like. And, you know, the the, the thing about Wu-Tang Forever to me is that I think that even more so than the music, just the, the, the rollout of the album and just the how gaudy the like the project is, just how, how long it is, how big it is. Uh, I feel like we tend to get wrapped up um, into all of that, into the, uh, I guess, the the actual album itself and how many tracks there are more so than the music sometimes. Do you uh, think that's correct? I totally agree. Um, you know, 36 Chambers was, it was kind of a slow burn. Um, you know, it, a lot of it spread by word of mouth. It was one of those things where somebody said, yo, you gotta listen to this. But with Wu-Tang Forever, it was, I mean, it was everywhere. There were billboards everywhere, you know, things on buses everywhere. 
the Triumph video was a big deal at the time. You know, they even had, you know, an enhanced CD. It was a big, big to do with the beginning days of the Internet. And it was it felt like an event. And it was, you know, first day event. It was almost like the way it feels now when a huge blockbuster movie comes out. And it's like day one. It's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine how much money uh, was was pumped into like this entire project between, you know, RZA bringing in, you know, uh, uh, live instrumentation to, you know, where they recorded and everything like that. And just, and just the, the rollout, the enhanced CD, which uh, which in which you were able to have like a digital tour of the Wu Mansion, which I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, I don't think I've ever uh, seen that that enhanced CD or what was on it. Do you remember it at all? Yeah, it's um someone someone put part of it on YouTube. It is it's kind of trippy because it reminds you of what the early days of the internet looked like. Um, I'm old enough to remember, you know, I was like 14 in 1994, so that's when like you know my my parents got you know the computer with the dial-up connection and stuff. So I can remember like pre-internet and post-internet, and like this enhanced CD, it took you through the Wu Mansion, but it's not what you would think today where you just click around, you know, it took time and you're on a dial up connection or, you know, the enhanced CD takes time to load and everything. So it was interesting, but it was cool because especially for a group at that time that was so still so private and you didn't really know too much about them, you know, these years before Wikipedia where you could just look anything up. So like it kind of did give you a little bit of a vision into their world that you hadn't seen before. And for you, uh, based on your writing and everything like that, you th- this is your favorite Wu Tang album overall, right? Yeah, yeah, by far. Now, why is that? I'm not saying it's the best. You know, I we could debate that, but it's just mm-hmm. for me. It's just the reason for me is that um, it's just so. And you kind of touched on it. It's so grandiose and it's so big and it's it's operatic and you know the 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 music is polished and like. You know, I, I appreciate the ruggedness of 36 Chambers and the grittiness. and But I just love, like, the cleanness of the beats on Forever. And I think, you know, I think, like, Rain Ghost, I think, had totally stepped their games up over the over the previous few years. And they were, you know, they were spitting at a ridiculous level on this album. Um, and it's just, like, it felt like, and maybe it's also nostalgia because it was kind of the last time of, like, the peak. You know, they, the W is still a great album, but this was when, you know, they were everywhere. And so maybe I kind of push it with that with my own memories. But I just even to this day, I was listening it to, to it today and it just it's just it's so <laughs> good. That's you know, it's just so damn good um, that like there and there's you know, it's so different. Um, I wrote about this a little bit, but it's not it's not a traditional album. Like even though it sounds polished, you know, there's still a lot of songs without a hook. There's still songs where like the members almost interrupt each other. There's this talking in the background. Like it still kind of feels like that unpolished kind of thing. Whereas like, you know, at the time you had, you know, Bad Boy doing so well with their absolute formula of how to make songs. And this was kind of the opposite of that. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, even it's it's so interesting, like if you ever just sit down and just think about the way Wu-Tang albums have been mixed over time. I, I think that each and every Wu-Tang album has been mixed and mastered differently. And even with Wu-Tang Forever, I, you know, I was listening to it um, also earlier today. And, you know, just like just like how you said, when it comes to some people 
um, you know, kind of cutting in, and it kind of seems like they're almost interrupting each other. I think, um, like on Deadly Me- uh, Deadly Melody, is a perfect example of that. And at the same time, like they're like, I think I was, I, mean, I can hear like static in the background, some distortion when it comes to the voices, and so the beats are much more polished. They hit much harder. The the bass sounds a bit better, and yet and still you 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 still have this kind of like this underlying griminess that you know rizza has always talked about you know in um uh, following 36 chambers and when he you know stepped his musical game up and started you know uh focusing on music theory and everything like that trying to figure a way to make it cleaner so you can make the make the tracks snap and hit harder but still kind of have that that wu-tang griminess but uh i was just gonna say yeah i mean i think they you know, other people have done it, but on such a grand scale, they, they they were so unique that they they didn't care about the rules of this is how you make a song and it needs to be sixteen bars hook, sixteen bars hook. You know, like they they didn't care. And so in some songs, you hear people talking in the background, like as if like I even said I, I wrote this. It feels like a mixture of like a, a barbecue and like a cipher at the same time, where it's kind of just people like kicking it. But then they're rhyming, but then they're talking. And then like and that was the other thing about the the whole group of the first round of solo albums, you know, it, at the beginning of Wu Gambinos, they're watching TV and talking, you know, like it wasn't just, OK, here's a song and then this is a skit and then here's a song. And it's it just felt more of like gritty and grimy, but also real, like almost like it, we know this isn't true, but almost like, you know, they're making a song and having a conversation at the same time. You know, it just it just felt less formulaic. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I totally agree. And you know, just thinking about the year 1997 and Wu Tang Forever being the the peak of Wu Tang's popularity. You know, it going four times platinum and whatnot. But if you just kind of you know place it within the context of the time. It sold, you know, less than a lot of other big albums out there. You know, it was fighting against uh, Will Smith's Big Willie style from I think that went nine times platinum, No Way Out, um, and Life After Death, like these gargantuan albums. And you have this Wu Tang album, which, in so many words, it got kind of got gobbled up at least commercially within, you know, all the the things that they were pretty much kind of talking against, um, like RZA in the very beginning of this too and everything like that absolutely he's i mean he's clearly talking about puffy yeah. in the yeah. intro to disc two um and then jizza comes in and you know makes it even more clear <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i think and that's another thing is like 97 it just felt like giant albums were coming all the time like you had you were still kind of reeling from you know um tupac's killing but then machiavelli was still felt like it was everywhere and then Big got killed, and then his album dropped, and, you know, Hypnotize was everywhere. And then, you know, Puffy kind of took over the year, and then Wu-Tang hit, and then Mace hit. And it was just like, it was just like one, it felt like one album after another, and it was just, it, it was crazy to look back on how many how many copies were sold of all of them. And it, it's just, it's kind of ridiculous that such big gargantuan albums kind of dropped and like you know you talk about wu-tang forever but like someone like jay-z who now when he releases an album it's an event you know he dropped volume one and people dug it but they're like nah, i'm gonna go back to life after death or i'm gonna go back to no way out 
And I think it was I think it was in your retrospective piece um, on Wu Tang Forever that you said that during that time it seemed like everyone was only listening to Wu Tang Forever, Machiavelli, and Life After Death. Yeah, that's I mean, look, I mean that's it's just anecdotal, but that's that's kind of it. And it was one of those things where it's like even people who didn't like hip hop knew those albums and knew songs from those albums because they were just everywhere. Whenever you were at a whenever two or more kids were together, that's what they were listening to. Mm, that's interesting. So uh so no art of war? <laughs> Not really. No. Um and again, like that's one of the things where like I like that album, but then people are like uh, is that on the radio? Is that on TRL? So, you know, like that was again, but that's also where I grew up. It was kind of a, kind of a different vibe. You know, no one, no one around me knew who Nas was till it was written dropped. So, um, I kind of came up in a different scene. All right. Well, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and try and dig into, uh, the second disc of Wu-Tang Forever, which starts off with the intro that we just talked about, uh, RZA talking about, uh, the climate initially pretty much talking about diddy as uh, as you just said and then it kicks off with i would say the quintessential wu-tang song like one of those songs that they they have to play wherever they whenever they perform and i think the song is just synonymous with wu-tang at this point even you know casual listeners um if they know any wu-tang song it will be this song which is triumph absolutely um you know like i said it was you know, the first single. And again, it was an, uh, it was a song that got radio play and airplay on MTV. Didn't have a hook, um, you know, had ODB interlude after three verses. But it was just other than that, it was just 10, nine verses. And, um, you know, first of all, the beat is incredible. It's so lush and so layered. But uh, I don't think any conversation about Triumph can happen um, without talking about, first and foremost, you know, Inspector Deck's opening verse, which is just it's absolutely incredible still to this day. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I was, you know, listening back earlier and I'm like, damn, this is like, this is a good verse. And people who don't even listen to Wu-Tang, they, they at least know some of that Inspector Deck verse. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen people with the whole entire verse on shirts. Um, you know, it doesn't happen too often. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And it's, it's kind of crazy, especially because at the time, you know, Method Man was such a big star and, you know, was their big crossover star and all that. And I wonder if he bat, batted second on this because everybody knew that Deck had just destroyed it. So, you know, Meth came in to, to pick up the pieces, as it were. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the rest of the verses are, are dope, don't get me wrong, but it's just, you know, Deck just grabs a hold of the mic and it's just, it's over yeah you know and that's the thing about inspected Doug. if you ever if you look through you know some of the like the first wave of other of uh, wu-tang solo albums i mean on a lot of songs he tends to have like the best verse I th- i'm thinking about um one song in particular on cuban links that i can't i can't think of the name of right now but yeah guillotine yeah he kills it i, I will talk you know i'll talk about this uh, some sometime later on, uh, on probably a different episode. But now he's you know experiencing this, this so-called uh, renaissance with you know the Zarface project that he's doing with Esoteric and everything like that, which um, I think really complements his style and uh, and whatnot. Uh, when it comes to Triumph too, I always wonder uh, if just the gaudiness of the video also helped it uh, cross over, for lack of a better word. No, I definitely think it did. Um, you know, Brett Ratner at the time was, 
you know, was just becoming the the motion picture director that he would become. It was a big deal. I remember they spent a million dollars, which was a huge deal back then. Mm-hmm. And um, it also, like, unlike Cream and Thirty Six Chambers, it and I, I wonder if this was on purpose. It kind of introduced every member. So um, I remember Thirty Six Chambers the first time I heard it. It feels like you just have all these voices just coming at you. And it's hard, you know, you kind of, you could tell who ODB was, you could tell who Method Man was. After a few listens, you knew who Raekwon was. But here, you know, everybody gets their own uh, verse and their own kind of set on the video and a different setting to kind of stand out on their own. And I think that that did a huge thing um, for them. And then with the bees kind of swarming and morphing into each member. Yeah, I I think that was huge, especially at this point when music videos were, really important to how album sales did and also with throughout this project we see some of the woo elements you have fourth disciple and true master who uh who i think in many respects have some of some of the better beats uh, on this album overall especially fourth disciple uh yeah i totally agree um it's kind of weird because the first time you listen you, you know automatically and especially in the back it says everything produced by rizza you go oh okay rizza and then you look at some of them and you're like wait a minute and uh, you realize that some of the better beats, like Fourth Disciple um, produced Impossible. Now, Rizzo had co-creator on that. But The City, you know, he he um, he brought some heat. And then speaking of heat, you know, True Master um, produced MGM, which is a dope beat. And then Heaters, which is which mm-hmm. is a super dope beat. So it's like, it's, it's interesting that even on this album, which was, you know, the clan's kind of culmination already... You know, some RZA's proteges are, you know, stepping head to head with him as terms of uh, beats. And, you know, props to RZA for putting them on there, because I, I know that, you know, it seems like sometimes he's an ego. But the fact that he gave them shine like that, he didn't have to do that. Going back to your to your piece on Wu-Tang Forever, you mentioned uh, one of the reasons why you like it is because of just the sheer complexity of the album overall and in its entirety when it comes to. The layered, produ- the layered production and the fact that a lot of um, a lot of the uh, people in the clan uh, step their game up lyrically, in which you know it's something that I think sometimes I tend to overlook because I tend to get kind of trapped in like the just like the um, just the just how gaudy the album can be sometimes that I tend to you know I tend to forget just to sit back and actually listen to like the lyrics sometimes and. Uh, although I will say that I always think that Raekwon uh, really like totally stepped this game up. I think that some of his lyricism on his album uh, uh, is better than some of the things that he that he does on Cuban Links. It's it's amazing to see his um, evolution from Thirty Six Chambers to Cuban Links to Iron Man to Wu Tang Forever. I mean, it is on this album he. He is so complex and he's throwing so many darts at once that it takes time to unravel it. And um, I think he was, yeah, I mean, he was at the top of his game um, on this album. Mm-hmm. And with the, just in going back to like this, how, how, how big, how large this album is, I wonder if it was just a bit easier for RZA, you know, of course, you know, during the time people were coming out with double CDs, but if it was just easier for him just to have a whole bunch of songs so everyone can get their shine and just put it out that way. Because uh, I was reading an interview and he said that 1995 is the only year in which everyone in the clan agreed, like, listened to him. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, 
And I, I know uh, in his book, uh, The Tao of Wu, he writes about how at the end of Forever, you know, after it ended and their tour with Rage Against the Machine kind of fell apart, um, it was over. And, you know, they kind of stopped listening to him. But I think you're right in the sense of when you have nine or ten members, depending on, you know, how you count them, um, you know, you can have a double album because it's not like it's not just Big or Tupac trying to make a whole album by themselves or a whole double album. Like you can have a song with the MGM has two people on it. Duck Season has three people on it. Now you also have Hell's Wind Staff, which has 12 and stuff like that, Triumph. But so you can have a few songs that have, you know, Deck has a solo track on here. You got as a solo track at the end. So you can have, you know, you do that and all of a sudden there's, you know, you start padding the stats as it were with, oh, look at this. Now we already have 10 songs and we haven't even really gotten into the meat of things yet. So uh, I think that was, it's also one thing that I really liked was that, you know, different combinations of artists together and, you know, um, the people on uh, It's Yours were completely different than the people on another song, you know, Bells of War or whatever. And so it was just kind of like you put together different combinations, almost like you can just, it's almost like playing with chess pieces where you're like, okay, let me put these two here and this one here and then pull this one out and put it over here for a different song. And to your point, I think it totally makes it easier because it's not one person trying to make 25, 30, 35 songs. It's 10 people working together trying to make 25 or 30 songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a point because uh, whenever a Wu-Tang album comes out and whenever someone does an interview, there's always there, there tends to be a question about, well, why wasn't so-and-so on the album that much? And which, of course, is complicated because you have nine people and, you know, you have but only so many slots. You don't want the songs to be that long. And, you know, typically a, a typical Wu-Tang album, if it's not a double CD, will be between, what, 13 to 15 tracks. So... Uh, I can get I, yeah, so I I, uh, I I I agree, and then also like thinking about people who you who you don't normally hear on a track together. So I don't really recall hearing Inspector Deck and You God on tracks together, for example. At least not that much in my in my head. No, you're absolutely right. That's a great that's a great example. Um, yeah, I can't even I can't even think of one right now. That's a that's a really good example. <laughs> and yeah, I mean maybe. Maybe they, you know, that's the other thing. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe they tried it and RZA thought it didn't, you know, they didn't sound right together or whatever. Um, I think, now that I think about it, they're both on heaters. I know mm. that. Yeah. But I think, you know, but to your point, yeah, it's it's very rare. Um, I think the other thing is like now when a when a Wu album drops and it's not, if it's not a compilation, you know, like uh, Wu-Tang uh, Legendary Weapons or, or Chamber Music or whatever, um you know, everyone's like, well, why isn't so-and-so on the album that much? And it's like, well, that person has a whole different career, you know, like Method Man's into acting and all this stuff. Maybe that person was touring. Maybe that person, you know, that person now is a family. It's not the same as like when you're younger and you don't have so many responsibilities pulling you in different directions, you can spend all day with your crew, right? Like, um, whether it's in school or just hanging out or whatever, like it's, you don't have these other things that are pulling you in 10 different directions. So you, you can't be at the studio all day and night so you can hop on five or six songs. Yeah. And which, you know, usually RZA, he always has problems getting certain people into the studio supposedly. So, I mean, I, I can only imagine, like, I, I mean, 
you know, kudos to to people who can try to, you know, make all, you know, try to get all these chess pieces into onto onto a board and everything like that. Because I can only imagine the sheer pain of trying to get nine people on the same page. Oh, completely. I mean, yeah. it's you know, it's it's wrangling, right? I mean, at that point, you're an NBA coach, and um, <laughs> the the other thing is that like, um, you know, Rizzo was saying. You know, I remember when um, for eight diagrams, he was saying, well, you know, everybody needs to listen to me and or um, and but it's like, OK, but maybe they don't like the way, you know, Rizzo's sound has has changed over the years. It's evolved over the years. So maybe, you know, maybe they're not as down with the, the beats as they were in 95. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, and again, it's just like any family or any friendship, like you're going to have arguments. You're not going to see eye to eye on everything. And especially when, you know, someone is no longer, you know, under your tutelage and they have their own career outside of you, then you know, it's going to be tough for them to just be subservient and say, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Mm-hmm. Especially if they disagree, if they, if they don't like the way it sounds. And for, uh, for Wu-Tang Forever, I think one person that, uh, that I was, that I'm always happy, like who got like a lot of shine is Master Killer because every album after Wu-Tang Forever I guess maybe you could say the W. He gets some. He gets some shine too. He tends to not really had play that big of a role. And I mean, a lot of Wu Tang albums they 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 are driven by Raekwon and Ghostface. Yeah, and, and I would them. say Meth too. Yeah, and Meth. Yeah, those are the three the, the 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 three main ones. And then you know, RZA will have like one solo song, and he may he probably won't have a verse on any of the other songs. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, especially because. Um, uh, Master Killer's debut album, No Said Date, is dope. And uh, he's, you know, he's criminally slept on, I feel like, because he's another one. I mean, maybe not to the level of deck, but whenever he steps up to the plate, he brings it. And, you know, he never disappoints. And, um, that was, again, going back to the Triumph video, like, this was the first time you saw him and you said, oh, there he is. That's who he is. Like, you know, you might have seen him before. And um, I think he was in the Glaciers of Ice video. But, for the most part, you know, Triumph was like this time when you could pinpoint and then go, oh, there's Master Killer. Now I know what he looks like, you know, going forward. What are some of your uh, favorite songs off of the uh, the second disc? All of them but the last two? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I love Triumph, obviously. And, um, you know, Impossible. Uh, I think I think RZA said that Ghosts, uh, verse on impossible he, he called it the best wu-tang verse ever mm-hmm. um but my favorites would probably be i love deadly melody um the point you made about when they're kind of all hopping in and hopping out and jizza has half a line and that's it like he comes in for half a line he says massapequa and then he then he then he's out and uh like i just the, the way it sounds like again that's another song i just love the beat um bells of war is another one that is just those songs, those two songs, especially, they feel like it just feels like a bunch of dudes kind of in a cipher, just just going at it and kicking rhymes. Um, and I think I think Duck Season is one of my favorite all time Wu Tang songs, even if it's even if it's not the most polished, just because I, I first of all I love the beat, but I just love the the uh, basic arrogance of it, you know. There's no. It's just. It's just shit talking, and it's just. It's just. You know, hip hop in that way. And then, um, I, I think it's. I think closes. Well, 
to me, <laughs> I, I ended after track 13. It closes really strongly with Hellsman staff, which is all of, <laughs> basically all of them. And then heaters is heaters is just nasty. I mean, that is just uh, from beginning to end. That song is, and it has a, has a dope ODB verse, which is rare on this album. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just, you know, I, I just feel like uh, the project, you know, I like all of them, but like some of those songs are just great. The MGM is, I mean, that is vivid storytelling. Like you, you can envision, you can visualize everything they're talking about. Um, and, you know, it's quick. It's in and out. You're in and out in two minutes. And it's but it's a it's an entire story. It's kind of crazy. So uh, let, let's talk a bit about why you uh, you ended at heaters. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna get in trouble. Um, I I appreciate. I I always liked that RZA would give solo songs to people that were next next up, right? So Meth had the solo song in Thirty Six Chambers, um, and Masakilla has a solo song on the W. And uh, I remember, you know, if if not for the flood, Deck would have had his solo album before Wu Tang Forever, but because of that, it got pushed back. So his solo song is um, on disc two. It's called The City. And then, you know, he gives he gives you God a solo song. That's dope, and uh, I appreciate it. I just I I just don't dig the song Black Shampoo all that much. Maybe it's because I'm white, but. Uh, <laughs> not a big fan and then um as far as second coming it's just i'm not an r&b fan so you know that keith is great she does great hooks and she's helped many a woo song but it's just not for me and it always felt like i always felt like those two songs kind of were kind of tacked on especially because of the kind of momentum that had been building from you know you go from mgm to dog shit, to duck season, to hell's wind staff, to heaters. Like it is, that's kind of building to a crescendo. And then it's just kind of, we just kind of hit a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to me, you know, I wasn't, I, I know uh, Riza had that solo on the, um, on the international version. Um, and it's called sun shower, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to, that, that wasn't on my album. So, uh, <laughs> So for me, like it kind of just it kind of whimpered out on those last two songs, and then you had Raekwon's like spoken outro. So it was kind of a weird way to me to end it. Um, but look, I'm not gonna. It's still my favorite album, you know. So. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah. So for me, let me see. I think out of this entire, uh, the entirety of the second CD, the one song that I like the most is Deadly Med- uh, Medley. I just. I just love how Master Killer just comes off on it. And the fact that I I didn't realize not it's nine verses on Deadly Melody. Metal uh melody, yeah. Kind of crazy. And um that's one of the songs where Master Killer f- sounds like he he's perfectly made for that beat. Like he just fits perfectly. Yeah. And on you know, I always say um I've always said this that if Master Killer came out with an album between '95 and '97, it probably would have been one of the best hip hop albums ever. Well, at least at least to me. Mm-hmm. Especially hearing like Deadly Deadly Melody, uh, um, Glaciers of Ice, and you know everything else that he did on certain solo Wu albums. That are, I mean that you know like they're they're just amazing. Uh, 
so yeah, so Deadly Melody. Uh, I like Bells of War. I don't know. I think because I always, I always listened to Bells of War when I was like a kid. For some reason, that used to, that used to be my favorite song for Wu Tang Forever. And it just kind of so whenever I listened to it, I was listening to it the day I kind of had you know flashbacks of me being you know like a kid listening to it like playing PlayStation or whatever I was doing. Uh, Triumph, yeah, you know, but you know the thing about Triumph is that like Triumph, Cream, and Protect Your Neck. After a while, I'm just like, uh, you know, you listen to it so much. Yeah. Just, you know, just in regular life sometimes, radio, whatever like that. Yeah, I expect to hear those at weddings. That's how <laughs> much they're played. Have you ever heard, Have Trump, you ever at heard Trump at a wedding? Uh, they played, no, they played Cream at my wedding. Huh. Yeah, but, I, you know, I asked them to. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, and... I think Triumph is too long. I think it might have, uh, I think everybody might have left. That's very true and... <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's a it, it's a it's a sinister sounding song too. The beat is kind of sinister and yeah, yeah. It's not a it's not a warm and friendly. Uh, we're gonna be married forever kind of song. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and I think uh, I don't know maybe in Duck Season. I always go between Duck Season and De- and Deadly Melody as my favorite songs because I love uh, I love Raekwon's verse and how he comes back in and. I think uh, Duck Season uh, reminds me, well, Raekwon's verses on Duck Season reminds me of uh, Ghostface's approach to uh, to Scary Hours. Okay. Kind of like a blackout moment. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that. And I, because I listen to Duck Season, and that's the song that I don't get sick of. And so I kind of sit there and I, I wonder why. I know part of it is the beat, like how it, even from when it starts. But I know that there's something more to it. So maybe that's why. Because I know, I sit there and I go, why do I love this so much? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because, you know, and it seems to me that Duck Season, it tends to be, at least in my circles, it tends to be a divisive song in that people, they just think, like, the beat is just, like, it, there's nothing special about it. And which, I mean, there really isn't anything special about it, but uh, I think it's uh, uh, Alvin Blanco. He made uh, in, in his book on uh, on Wu Tang. He made this uh, he made this point about Duck Season that the beat is nothing to like get excited about, but the beat forces you to listen to the lyrics, which are actually like really good. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I I totally agree with that. Um, it's almost like a it's almost like a half acapella song because it is such of a minimalist beat. But I think it's also, it's so, I guess the word is polished. That, that song, it sounds futuristic almost, that beat, like the, the, the sounds on it. And it, to me, it's kind of the complete opposite of 36 Chambers, which is impressive because it's the same group. But um, yeah, I mean, but, and the lyrics are, all three of them really come off. I mean, I know Raekwon just goes insane on it, but all three of them really, really bring it. I mean, RZA has some really quotable lines too. Um, so yeah, I mean I but again I I just maybe that's why because I'm more of a lyric guy than like a than a beat guy. Um so maybe that's the reason I I just I love it so much. I don't know. And you know, I really I I think I pretty much agree with you. I mean, I I like heaters too, but uh I think I agree with uh kind of ending it at heaters. Although I do like I do like second coming, but it so usually what I do is if I if I, I I tend to like make a if I make a like a playlist I'll put the second coming on like maybe something like on a on a playlist that has more R and B oriented hip hop songs or something like that. Yeah, it feels like it feels like it's from a different album. That's not it, that doesn't mean it's a bad song. 
it just yeah. feels it doesn't feel like part of the it, it doesn't uh it doesn't feel like cohesive to the rest of the album is, is how i'll put it yeah and, and it's so funny is that um it, it was someone who said that uh rizza has like you like the, his his use of like strings all throughout this album is very um it remind it reminds people of isaac hayes a lot and with Second coming, I can picture Isaac Hayes like in the in the seventies or whatever like that, singing over that that track. That's that's interesting. That that's that's a really good point. It does sound like a um like an Isaac Hayes black exploitation kind of track. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. It's just for me, it's just I, I found it and again, I don't know where else you would put it, but I just found it weird placement on the album. Um and I guess, you know, to his to his point, I guess I guess Rizzo was like, look, you know, I'm going to give um, her some shine. How else can I do it? And I, I don't know where else it would fit. Maybe at the end of disc one. Um, I don't know. But it just feels like, you know, it just feels like the, the album takes kind of a, a, a very steep left turn. I would say that the second coming would have been better off as the very first song. Like I, this entire album uh, would have been better off without that long Papa Wu intro. Oh, thank. Oh, dude. Yes. That intro. And, and I got really nervous. I think I wrote about it. I was really nervous sitting in the car, listening to that never ending intro. And I was like, <laughs> what, what is this? Like, did, did my CD scratch? What, what am I listening to? And I, I was scared. Um, scared the wrong word. I was worried. <laughs> um but uh yeah, I totally agree. And I think yeah, I mean I, I guess you could have done things differently. You know, Riz's intro to disc two could have been an intro to the album. Yeah. Um especially with what he's saying because it is kind of a especially in hindsight, the album is kind of a um a pushback against where the music was going. And that's kind of what he talks about. And then to your point, I think Maybe it would be a good transition at the beginning of disc two, yeah, yeah. Or, or the or the intro, yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a that's a that's a good point. Yeah, because and it, because the the thing about that that intro too is, and I think uh, Alvin Blanco also made this point in, in that book is that <laughs> uh, it kind of the entire album, well, certain parts of the album go it goes against what Papa Wu was saying. You know, you have songs like Dog Shit Maria. Uh, on here, and it just completely contradicts this six, like what, six, seven minute intro, and everything. So it's like, well, you know, it, you know, it it just makes it a bit weird. And uh, with that, I'll say that yeah, black shampoo. You know, listening to it again, um, I think I like it a bit better. Maybe I, th- I think I, I appreciate the beat more than anything. I appreciate the beat more because I, I used to I was never a big fan of that beat. But nonetheless, though, I think it's uh, it's something that's so rant. I think dog shit and black shampoo, the second coming, are like these random songs that could have been left off overall. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the reason dog shit is on there because um, this was a point in time when they they were having trouble keeping old dirty in the studio. I think. Yeah. So to get a full song from him, especially because he had been such a breakout star on the first album. And, you know, I knew kids again, I, you know, I grew up in a different area, but I knew kids who they loved ODB. So they were 
they were all about that song. So they were really excited that that song was on there. So he might have sold a few more copies because kids found out that uh, kids, teenagers found out that, you know, ODB had a solo track on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that, and uh, and yeah, also with me, Sun Shower is not on my uh, my version of Wu Tang Forever, but uh, it's a cool song. I like it. I'm, I'm assuming was that song supposed? No, I'm thinking about Tragedy actually. That was the that was on the Rhyme and Reason soundtrack, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Tragedy. Yeah, yeah Tragedy. Yeah, tragedy. I was I loved uh, RZA uh, as a as an MC, and um, because you know he popped up so infrequently, especially on the solo discs. Um, you know, his verses on iron, his verses on Iron Man and Cuban links. And I was really, really, really excited for a RZA solo album. Um, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like Bobby digital, but it's just, it's not what listening to his, you know, his earlier verses is not what I was, would have expected. Yeah. 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 I can, I, I can see that. And, you know, I, I guess like how, uh, how Wu-Tang forever holds this, this special place in your heart, uh, Riz's digital bullet holds a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, when I, you know, buying it and everything like that. So yeah, I can, I completely understand like your, you know, your, your attachment to, to Wu-Tang Forever and whatnot. You know, what's interesting too, is that whenever there's like a Riz solo track, it tends to always have like it, like in, in the name of the track, it'll have something that revolves around the sun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, is that is that him being arrogant? Is that him? He's the son. Is ah. that <laughs> you know? I I, I, I Riz is an interesting guy. I mean, he's he's a fascinating person, and he's done amazing things. Obviously, we're you know, there's a whole podcast to, dedicated to you know a, a movement and a group that he started. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what what is that podcast? Uh, I think it's called the Wu Tang ah, Podcast. Ah, okay. Um, okay. It's a really good listen. Um, but I think RZA's biggest fan is RZA, and which is a good thing. It's a great thing. But uh, I think you know he's um, he's a big fan of himself, which is good. I mean, he's done a lot. But I, I could see how sometimes that may chafe certain other members uh, from time to time. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see that too. And maybe, maybe I'm 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 being a bit uh, facetious or whatever like that because I mean I think there's only like one other like like RZA solo song that has the like that has the the word sun in it which is sunlight from eight diagrams but you know yeah yeah no yeah. I got you I mean yeah. but but again uh getting back to this album I mean it is it is an impressive feat what he did and you touched on it I mean to to be able to get all these people who now were no longer broke and, and on the corner you know to get them all to buy into this giant grand huge experiment of an album um is pretty impressive yeah uh, yeah you know the fact that i know he laments that it didn't it didn't continue but you know it, as i've gotten older and i look back on it i mean it is the fact that he he kept it together for so long and that that they that this album even got made and was as cohesive as it is 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 pretty impressive yeah yeah um yeah i most definitely agree uh, i recall there was interview or something like that in which Rizzo, you know, looking back on the album, he, maybe it was in your article, I'm not entirely sure, but in which he, you know, he, he said, thinking thinking back on the album that, you know, it's kind of slapdash in certain parts and everything like that, but, you know, there's only but so much you can say, you know, to a man who, I mean, what, from 93 until like 97, he made classic album after classic album, 
And that's really hard to do. Yeah. Very few people in, in the history of music can say that they've done something like that. Totally. And he, um, t- two quick points. He, he said that for three or four years, he was just in the studio. Just all he's doing is making beats. If you think about how fast those albums came, the fact that he made all those beats, um, you know, Liquid Swords, Cuban Links, Iron Man, all to Cal. And um, he also said, you know, I have a five-year plan. Give me five years. So by the time 97 comes around, you know, they're sitting there going, okay, we gave you five years. Like you said, give us five years. We did it. Like, let us let us go now. You know, like we 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 stuck to our agreement. You need to stick to yours. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but then, you know, even after that, then he... It seems like, you know, Riz, of course, he, he got into movies after, you know, after like Wu-Tang Forever. And then he focused more on the brand. You know, I was reading this article in like 2000 when, in which he was kind of talking a bit about Wu-Tang Forever. And then he focused a bit more on like the branding of it and how the Wu-Tang brand and how he didn't want the brand to be put on any like, you know, on everything anymore. He wanted he wanted it to be a bit more contained and everything like that and wasn't worried as much about the money. I do think, although I guess he, he does have certain, I don't know, maybe he doesn't anymore, but all the, maybe during the time, thinking about it, although he had certain feelings about Wu-Tang Forever and probably still does, he seems a bit content, you know, especially by saying that he was more focused on just the, the Wu-Tang brand and what it meant and trying to just make it grow more and to make it more mystical or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I mean... I think there's an element of it with as you get older, you know, uh, maturity gives you perspective. And I think it's also, you know, maybe he had regrets because by by 2000, you know, it was kind of saturated. Um, yeah. You know, you know, solo discs were coming so quickly that, you know, for me, a diehard fan, I'd gone from anticipating every album to, well, there's another one like, uh, <laughs> wow, like I, I can't even digest the last one. And, you know, it, it was looking in a, in a little bit of a bad place until Supreme Clientele came. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in their in, in their hope to dominate, you know, you you you, you overextend yourself sometimes. And, and maybe they did that. And, you know, th- it happens. It's fine. Um, but I think it's I, I think if you take it in chunks and you look at from 93 to 97, I mean, that run is just it is impressive. And um, especially in hip hop where, you know, uh, people have trouble making a second album. You know, he he was able to produce or at least mostly produce seven in five years, six years. That's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you're just in a studio and you survive on turkey burgers and blunts, as he says. <laughs> That's the Atkins diet, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing is that, like, you know, as a fan and as a consumer, you know, I wanted him to keep doing that forever. You know, I don't, I, you know, I don't care as long as the music's good. It's he can do whatever he wants, but yeah, you know, at some point he he had to stop. He he could no longer keep up that pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, doesn't that's... mean I, doesn't mean I have to like it as a fan, but as a human, I understand. Yeah, exactly, and you know. But nonetheless, Wu-Tang continues on, and we just had a, a new a solo album, Master Killers album. We have a new, technically, Wu-Tang album coming out. Uh, yeah, uh, what do you think about that? You think that's a, you think that's a real Wu-Tang album? Uh, 
Well, I know you guard isn't on it, from what I heard. Um, I'm um, leaning. I'm leaning towards it's a compilation. Yeah, that's how it seems. Because I, you know, looking at the tracks, I mean, they have all kinds of different people on it. So it, it seems like you know, like a Wu Chronicles or something like that. Yeah. Or the what was it? Legendary weapons. Oh yeah, yeah. Legendary weapons. Yeah. And then the other Wu Tang things they have. <laughs> yeah, and they had another one. Um, I can't believe I'm blanking. Chamber music. Chamber, Chamber music. music. Yes, yeah, Chamber exactly. Music. And those were those were good, but come on, let, let's calm down. Like. <laughs> they're not they're not Wu Tang albums like yeah I mean yeah but it'll be interesting to see what you know mathematics does uh with the project and everything like that I think if anything a Wu Tang album should be entirely produced by Fourth Disciple I would listen to that I would most definitely listen to it too but uh, what do, how do, well, um before well before you wrap up uh how do you feel about the You God memoir. Uh, interested. I haven't, I haven't learned too much about it, but I'm, I'm interested to, to check it out. Yeah. I literally found out about it, I think two days ago. So yeah, so. Me, me too. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, it kind of leaked out. I felt like it didn't, it wasn't, at least for me, it didn't kind of arrive at the bang. It kind of just kind of, uh, leaked out a little bit, but, uh, that'll be really interesting to see, uh, especially someone from his perspective. Yeah, especially based on the, based on that documentary he had uh, some years ago. Um, I can only ima- I can only imagine certain things that he may say uh, in the book. But you know, again, like this is the amazing thing about Wu Tang and why, or another reason why I did this podcast is because um, there's so many every year there's something Wu Tang related happens. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't matter w- what it could be. If it's RZA and Azalea Banks. If it's Ghostface coming out, you know, uh, being like the spokesperson for a cryptocurrency, if it's a solo member, a member coming out with a solo album. So right now I'm kind of behind because I just found out about the the You God memoir. Um, I haven't fully listened to Master Killer's album. Another, uh, the Mathematics Wu-Tang compilation album is coming out. Got the You God memoir about to come out soon. This, I mean, so much going on. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like homework. It, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel sometimes. And I know I know you got sued RZA last year, so I wonder if if he'll touch on that. Um, I have a quick you got Twitter story if you got two seconds. Oh, I do. <laughs> my uh, my first book um, when I was I was still writing for Double XL, and um, I, I was you know I was promoting it, and uh, I was just tweeting at certain members that are in the book, certain individuals. So the, I have a small little quarter of a chapter on Styles P and and on Tretch and. You know, I do a chapter on like underrated artists and then I have a chapter on it's actually my least favorite book, but it's it's the most popular, which, you know, these things happen. Um, I have a thing about Wu-Tang and how they're the to me, they're the best group. And I I tweeted you got this is years ago. And uh, and I said uh, I just told him about it. And I said, you know, I wrote a book and I mentioned you and the clan as the greatest group ever. And all he wrote back was give me my check, homie. And I was like, I was like, dude. First of all, it's not done. Second of all, I'm not sure how much how much it's gonna sell, but you know, I'll I'll try to do what I can. But <laughs> I was I always find it funny. And then when you know I hear he's suing RZA, I was like, oh okay, I don't feel so bad. Uh well, because he said to RZA, he said to RZA, give me my check. You know, so you got is a you got is most definitely about his money. And speaking of which, I had to listen to that that uh his newest single. Well. 
song, whatever, Wu Dak Yellow, whatever it is. Have you listened to it yet? I have not, but to be fair, I haven't heard the original yet, so <laughs> I'm pretty proud of myself that I have not heard that song, even though it's number one in the country. It shows you how old I am. Um, so, but uh, so my my only ex- exposure to that song will be You God's Freestyle. So I'll take it. Um, but again, like like you said, there's so much there's so much legwork to do. Like you gotta you gotta read up on You God. You gotta you gotta listen to the Master Kill album, which I've heard parts of it. I like it. Um, you got the new Wu compilation coming, so it's a, there's a lot to do. Yeah, I mean, and you just had that just had that book that came out by Cyrus Bozigmer about uh, the making of the of the secret album, which I'm assuming we'll probably hear eventually, since you know it has a new or I'm assuming it has a new owner as of now. Yeah, I want to I want to read that book too. Um, yeah, I want to check. That oh out. yeah, it's a it's a really good book. I mean, I I enjoyed every bit of it. Yeah, he's he's a he's a good writer, um, as you are as well. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. So, um, yeah, so Chris, thanks so much for coming on. We got to have you back to uh, have some more Wu talk. Maybe talk about a, a RZA album or something like that, or maybe another Wu Tang album. Uh, with that said, where can people find you? Sure. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor, and I'll be more than happy to come back um, whenever. Um, they can find me at my website, ChristopherPiersnick.com, P-I-E-R-Z-N-I-K, uh, Twitter, C. Piersnick, um, or they can just Google, um, you know, I've written about Wu-Tang, if you Google um, uh, My Triumphant Youth um, or uh, The Wu-Tang Paradox, Wu-Tang Top 20. I've written pretty extensively about the Wu and uh, how they've changed my life and how much of an impact they've had on me since, you know, since I was even you know an early teenager cool and yeah i will i I will most definitely ditto and i think that if anything you guys should check out uh yeah chris yeah your your piece on the top on the best wu-tang uh albums yeah the top to top 20 wu-tang albums um you can catch it on uh i think it's on medium i think it's also on hip-hop golden age yeah yeah it's on hip-hop golden age too yeah and which uh yeah i uh I agree with about ninety nine percent of that of that list. I think. I'll take it. I'll take it. Most people, you know, when when you write something on the internet, there's always uh, there's always going to be a, a cadre of people that agree with zero percent of anything you write. So, I will take that, especially for someone who, um, you know, is as invested as I am, if not more so. So, um, and I appreciate all you're doing with this podcast. It's fantastic. Um, when I first heard a pop podcast, you know, years ago, I was like, man. Somebody should make a Wu Tang podcast, and you did it. So thank you for doing that, <laughs> and thank you for having me. I'm I'm eternally grateful. Oh man, no worries. Thanks so much again, and this has been another edition of the Wu Tang Podcast. Check us out at Wu Tang Podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher. Hit a, hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up through email at Wu Tang Podcast at gmail.com if you would like to come on, or if you just want to have some Wu chat with me. So with uh, all that said, we are out. Peace.